store. One of the year's most celebrated novel is James McBride's book entitled The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store. You, you might um, know of McBride's award-winning memoir called The Color of Water from a few years ago. McBride's story takes place on Chicken Hill, a neighborhood, a poor neighborhood in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, where immigrant Jews and African Americans live side by side, clinging to the dream of equality in their new homeland. The year is set. The year is 1925. Moshe Ludlow had just opened his dance hall and his theater to black musicians. Despite the opposition of the town's white power brokers, the theater is prospering at this time. Moshe's wife, Kona, a beautiful woman who's driven by her Jewish faith and her chronic limp from childhood polio, runs the heaven and earth grocery store downstairs from their small apartment. The little grocery cost more money than it takes in mostly because Chauna allows many of the Chicken Hills black and European immigrants to take out lines of credit that in fact she never asked them to make good on. To Pottstown's Christian establishment, the residents of Chicken Hill are a necessary source of cheap laborers and housekeepers. The town's, one of the town's physicians calls them white wine stains on the white American tablecloth. But despite their struggles, Chicken Hill is the epitome of American inclusiveness, of caring, and of love. Jonah's store is the meeting place for the diverse Chicken Hill community a community of shoemakers and maids and factory workers. Oh, it's a community of gangsters and petty criminals. But all are welcome at the Heaven and Earth grocery store. When the state wants to institutionalize a 12-year-old black boy who's been branded deaf and mute, the Heaven and the Earth patrons come together to take on the powerful state to save the boy from being warehoused for the rest of his life. As they begin to prosper, Jewish families move off. Chicken Hill, they leave it, they leave Pottstown proper for better places to live. Moshe wants to join the Exodus, but his wife will not hear of it. Moshe points out the kitchen window of their apartment above the store and shouts out, down the hill is the America dream. But his wife is adamant. America is here, she says. While her goodness endears her to Moshe, it also exasperates him. The area is poor 
which we are no longer, he says. It is black, which we are not. We are doing well. But his wife counters, because we serve. You see, that's what we do. The Talmud says it. We must serve. James McBride's novel celebrates our ability to move heaven and earth to realize the kingdom of God's peace and justice in our own Chicken Hills community. See, throughout the Gospels, Jesus upholds the sacred dignity of people, of all women, of all men, of all children in the eyes of God, despite the inaccurate and often cruel labels and stereotypes that society assigns to them. As they did in the time of Jesus, so too do we do it and continue to do it today. But compassion, forgiveness, mercy are only words until our actions give full expression to those values in our relationships with one another. See, our identifying ourselves as Christians and calling ourselves disciples of Jesus means nothing. It means nothing until our lives express that identity in the very values we uphold, in the beliefs that you and I live out. See, Jesus' simple story of the two sons takes the gospel out of the realm of the theoretical, you might say, and places the very mercy of God right in the middle of a very busy and complicated life. The words of the gospel are words that Jesus challenges us to live not simply to speak. Jesus' teaching and justice, reconciliation, and love must be the light that guides us. It must be the very path that we're willing to walk, the prayer that we work to make a reality in our lives. For discipleship truly begins in your heart and in my heart where we realize Jesus' presence in our own lives and in the lives of others. And then it's in the honoring of that presence and the real and the meaningful acts of compassion and charity. Just before confessions today, I had one of those experiences where suddenly that which I say I believe truly came from my heart and was made manifest in front of me. Sometime around noon, Deacon Rick reached out to me that he had received a phone call from a chaplain from one of the hospices surrounding us and asked if I could go anoint a patient, not a parishioner here at Victory, but someone who lives at this time in Northville. And so I spoke to the daughter and she said, you know, if it can only be tomorrow, whenever it fits into your schedule, Father, is, is fine. And I said, well, I have confessions at three. How about, how about if we aim for two? And so at two o'clock, I found myself just a matter of blocks away from here and met the three daughters and the woman's sister and finally met Irene, who's quiet presence, quiet
quiet, quiet presence spoke to me in the very core of my being that this would be someone who would see the face of God soon. And so I took out my oils and explained to them what I was going to do and then anointed Irene and then we prayed the Lord's Prayer and while praying the Lord's Prayer a couple times, her lips moved and I knew that she completely understood why I was there and what we were doing. And after the anointing, so I just reached out and held her hand for a few moments and said, so Irene, you've done all the hard things now. So when the Lord Jesus comes and he extends his hand to you, I just want you to hold his hand and you'll be free. She took one last breath and went home to the Lord Jesus. The daughters all looked at me and I said, isn't this why you called me to come and to help her get to the other side? See, we can say all kinds of things of what we believe. But none of that means anything unless we take the faith that we say we believe in our hearts and we utilize it with our lives. We actually extend ourselves. Irene was the 137th person whose hand I was holding when they died. Not sure why the Lord's called me to do that, although Catherine Ling, who's up in the balcony right now, when she was my pastoral associate for 11 years, anytime she was even just sniffling with a cold, she always said, please don't touch me. <laughs> Maybe I believe in it too much. but I won't let go of what I believe. And I think that's the call of the gospel, that none of us let go of what we believe and live that belief in the simplest ways. Nothing extraordinary. Just holding a hand and inviting her to be free. Jesus calls us, calls you, calls me to live the words of the gospel, to live his teachings of reconciliation, of justice, of love, that we allow them to become the light that guides our lives, the paths that we walk, the prayer that we work to make a reality. Discipleship begins here in our very hearts. Today, may we live our faith and may we recognize the Lord Jesus when he comes for you and for me and not to be afraid, but to believe we will be free.
and may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. <laughs>